to another episode of the Muslim Mind Space, and our theme for the next couple weeks is Muslims in business. So today I have Lily, and she is a mindful motherhood supporter. I would say her business is Mindful Motherhood. Um, so she basically works in maternal mental health, and she specializes in providing compassionate mental health services and peer support tailored for mothers. Her mission is to create a nurturing space that empowers mothers on their mental health journey, offering personalized support that goes beyond traditional approaches. I absolutely wish I had this when I was pregnant, um, with a focus on mental well-being and peer connections. She aims to strengthen the emotional resilience of mothers during this transformative stage. So you also have a diploma in mental health and peer support work. And as you were just saying to me, you basically opened up your business a couple months ago, took the leap into it. And yeah, can you just walk me through that? Yeah, so a couple of months ago, I was always reluctant to start my business just because I had many fears around just getting out there and just diving into the field. But a couple of months ago, I was like, you know what, I've got I've got nothing to lose. You know, mm-hmm. people are either going to like me or they're not going to like me, but that's fine as long as I'm helping you know, a few mothers is better than helping no mother. So I just started my page and just, you know, started posting and promoting what my services are, what I'm offering and telling these women and mothers how I can help you. Yeah. Can you go into a little bit more depth of what being supported through these phases of mental health in our maternal phase actually looks like? So I find that with a lot of the, your postpartum journey once you leave the hospital I think you're in the hospital like no more no more than like three days where they kind of rush you out of there and it's it's hard because they rush you out of there but they leave you in the deep end mm-hmm. and it's kind of like here here's motherhood here's your new baby especially if you're a first time mum, you don't really know what you're doing and basically kind of like figure it out for yourself yeah you have those two initial um checkups with the nurse that come from the hospital to check in with baby, the weights, if they have jaundice, how they feeding. But it's never really about the mother. You know, after the baby's born, it all becomes about the baby. How's the baby doing? How's their development? But I find that in my experience, no one really checked up on me as a mother and mm-hmm. how I was coping and how my mental health was. Even though I had three, I still struggled with going from one to two to two to three. Yeah. So, yeah, motherhood is a, it's a it's a twenty four seven job that we don't get a break at. We never get that kind of breather to think for ourselves or be ourselves again because we're so consumed with taking care of children, and it can be a really debilitating time when you don't have that support. And also with mental health. Yeah. Yeah. Like in my experience, I feel like that phase, that postpartum phase especially becoming a first-time mum, is you don't even know who you are anymore because you have this new human, your body has changed, you have these responsibilities, life looks so different, and oftentimes the life you have now doesn't fit into the life that you had before. So that crossover phase is so hard. And like you said, no one asks how the mum is doing. Mm-hmm. Everyone's, you know, coming to check up on the baby and what they're up to and send me updates and all that kind of stuff, but no one ever turns to the mum and says, are you okay? Because we're just expected to be okay. Yeah, exactly. We're expected to just like hold it together. It's all yeah. about the baby. But there's so much a mother goes through through that postpartum journey up to a year. Like you said, with especially with the first baby, the first baby, that transition from I'm kind of alone to mm-hmm. here's this new human that I've been carrying inside me, but I met for the first time a couple of days ago, and then I've got to bring the baby home and get to know you by myself. And that's really daunting to kind of just bring someone into your life and get to know them. Mm -hmm. And some mothers don't have that initial bond. And I spoke about it in one of my posts that some mothers don't have that immediate bond. And I didn't with my firstborn. So that made it even harder to be a mother to her Mm -hmm. because I was like, I'm just looking at you like a responsibility, but I don't know what type of love I'm supposed to give you. Yeah. 
And then there's that stigma around all of that as well. You know, do I speak up about this with other mm. mothers or my peers because perhaps they're going to judge me? Is this normal that I'm feeling this kind of way? I feel like at the time where I was having children, there was a really lack in education or community around these things. You know, everyone's sharing the amazing milestones, but no one's sharing the crappy times, you know, where you're yeah. sitting crying as your baby's crying and you literally don't even know what to do. Yeah. You know, and I feel like your work and the things you stand for and advocate for are so necessary because I struggled with my third for a year with postpartum depression. That was my third yeah. child. Mm -hmm. And so many of these things go under the radar. Like even in my field, when I get touchy with some women, like their conversations get a bit vulnerable, they do go back to a lot of their experiences in that postpartum period as well. And oftentimes things are linked to that period where it was just that overwhelming. They feel like they failed their kid before their kid was even a kid. Like they had just met this human and they carry that. And I think if they had the right support and services like what you provide, things would look a, a lot, a lot different in that phase. And yeah. is there a specific time through your pregnancies and births that led you to needing this and saying, this is what I want to advocate for I'm opening up a business around this. I experienced all with all three um, HGs, so hyperemesis gravidarum, which is yeah. severe, severe morning sickness that requires hospitalisation. Um, each one was a little bit different. My second one was the hardest, and that was five and a half months of I lived at the hospital. I was hooked onto the IV trip. I was severely dehydrated. I didn't eat. My first one lasted about four months and then my third one was about four months again but I got pregnant with my second and third during COVID so mm -hmm. COVID for anyone was a really hard time the loss of income the loss of businesses your job the loss of freedom the loss of socialization but and then putting that on top of that hyperemesis and staying in the hospital by yourself because of the protocols obviously at the hospital it was a very sad and lonely experience and that's mm. where my depression, my pre, uh, prenatal depression started. Right. Because of just, I didn't have my, I didn't have my husband there at all. He wasn't allowed to come visit me. I don't even think he saw his, uh, my, our second until 35 weeks, the ultrasound. Yeah. Because they weren't allowed in. So that played a very big part in my depression. And it was... And can you just walk us through, because I know for myself and the listeners may not actually be aware of what prenatal depression is. So prenatal depression, so the perinatal period is from when a mother find out, finds out she's pregnant up until a year post-birth. Post That's the perinatal period. So prenatal depression is um, going through depression during your pregnancy, and it's a very unspoken about. Mm -hmm. And I find that women... Yes, I'm hearing of it, to be honest. Yes. Yeah, I find that mothers are too scared to admit it because you get these little comments during your pregnancy where, oh, you should be grateful or, you know, it's, um, you know, a lot of people can't get pregnant or, you know, people have miscarriages. And it's, it, it's, it's so hard to be invalidated of your feelings when you want to say, you know what, hey, I don't like my pregnancy because of my sickness, just say. Yeah. And that's okay. It's okay to hate your pregnancy like I did but it didn't mean I hated my child, that I didn't want her. It's yeah, just, so it's separating yeah. the two. Mm, yeah. It's separating the two because oftentimes people are miseducated and they think mm. if you're hating your pregnancy, you don't want to be pregnant, you don't want the baby, this yeah. is a mistake. They're yeah. not able to separate the two and see them as two separate things because inevitably you are an individual and mm -hmm. you are going to become a mother. So they are two separate things and they'll always be two separate things, but they like to see it as one. Yeah. And feel as though when you were struggling with that were you even able to express yourself in the hospital to the nurses and midwives that were actually taking care of you or was that something you suppressed as well you know going through hyperemesis um I've expressed my feelings about it on my social media that you unless you've gone through it you don't know the severity of it it's a really it's so hard on your body just to be vomiting you know, up to 20 times a day, being hooked on the IV drip, like I said. And the comments that I got was, you're being overdramatic or, wow. yeah, it's all in your head, which it's not all in our head because it's physically happening to your body and, oh, it's okay, it will pass. But going through it, some people go through it for nine months 
mm-hmm. and going through that every single day it's it's on your like it's your bedridden it's so hard and, and you're trying to like it's gonna pass it doesn't feel yeah. like it is okay and it yeah at the time it, it doesn't feel like you feel like it's gonna go on forever yeah because you know it, it's such a it's like a slow death honestly I, I i just it's it's so bad and i i hated when people said you know it, it's fine like i'm like it's it's not fine there's no cure for hyperemesis no anti-nausea medication is working no matter how many bags of fluid i get i'm i'm still not eating or feeling better all i needed from people was me to complain to them to vent mm-hmm. for them vent to them that would have been more helpful than you trying to give me advice and solutions because yeah, nothing because was no helping. No one knows what you're going through. Yeah. No one is feeling what you're feeling. And especially like for someone like myself, and I'm sure many of these women that are listening, they're also not educated on this unless it's something you've been through. Yeah. Because I have not heard about another person who has really gone through this. Maybe I've heard like whiffs of stories, but not yeah. to this degree where, you know, you do fall into depression. You are getting, you know, mistreated. The actual services and people that are meant to be supporting you through this are basically putting you down and kind of making you feel really unheard and unseen. And then how do they expect you not to fall into a depression or hate your pregnancy or, you know, feel out of your own body when this is what's contributing to everything else that you're already going through? Yeah. It was such a hard time. Did you you experience any morning sickness? I, with my first, I did have morning sickness and nausea for like the whole nine months, but it was just consistently feeling sick in my stomach, like not excessive vomiting or anything like that. Oh, okay, yeah. This stage where like I was turned off all food, I just consistently Mm. felt sick. But not to the point where you'd be in hospital. Oh, okay. No, not at all. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Um, so yeah, and then my second one was quite a different experience. I really enjoyed her pregnancy. And then my third one wasn't the best at all. Mm. Um, but like I said, never to the stage of what you're telling me. And also never have I been in a situation where I've vented about something that's, you know, my body's hurting or this is hard and I've been put down about it, especially to the women that we go to in hospitals who are meant to support us, like their job is to support us through this journey. And I feel like those systems are really failing. I think that's why women like you and what you stand for and, you know, all of these doulas and kind of hypnobirthing and that kind of thing is so important because women really need an alternative to these systems that are failing them. Yeah. I I love doulas. I'm 100% for them. I love that they they come into the homes after they give birth and, they cook meals and fold clothes. It's those little things that mothers oh, need. Yeah. You know, we don't need, you know, when people give you gifts and they give you like uh, books or toys, it's like yeah. I appreciate you, but I don't need that. What I need is to get some of my laundry done, yeah. um, someone cook me a meal, someone just run some errands for me, or someone just sit with me while I breastfeed and just have a chat to me. That's, That's right. all I need. I don't need you know, the party or the welcome home thing. Mm. And I think that is what is what is lacking post-birth is that support. I would love to be able to go to, I'm not a doula, but I would love to be able to go to people's houses and be like, hey, what do you need from me? What do you really need? Do you want a chocolate bar? I'll go get it. Do you want me to cook your meal? I'm happy to do that. If you want to cry in my arms, let's cry for the next five hours because, you know, I got you. Yeah. And that is what I'm offering to these mothers. Because it's it's the process of nurturing the mum so then she's able to nurture the child. Mm-hmm. And exactly, that's, yeah. That's kind of the approach that I'm getting from all of this because when mum is at her best, that's going to be a domino effect to everyone in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I, yeah. that child that she's trying to bond with and maybe find difficult when her milk is coming in, when she's finding breastfeeding hard, when, you know, her body's aching and she hasn't slept. Mm. In those moments of supporting, giving them, like you said, what they need, that will then allow them to look back on this period of time and say that was great. Yeah, and I want them to have a really positive postpartum journey and be like, you know what, I had this person, this person help me, and I didn't hate it. I liked it. I liked getting to know my child and experiencing the little things and the little milestones of not only your child but yourself too, the milestones of, 
you know what? Today I went to the supermarket by myself with my child, which is daunting. The first outing is daunting. I don't yeah. think I left the house for the next, you know, how we're supposed to stay in the house for about 40 days. I don't think I left. Yeah. I was just confined in my room because I was too nervous to go. And with my first one, I didn't have that support. Mm-hmm. I had no one because I was going through, I told you, um, you know, a very uh, abusive marriage at the time. So mm-hmm. my firstborn was a very, very traumatic experience mm-hmm. that I still hold till this, till, till this day. Yeah. And do you believe that what you're holding on to is just specifically about the birth experience or do you think your whole marriage and everything that's around that as well? I did get depression from obviously, again, being sick with hyperemesis, but a lot of factors within my toxic marriage did play a part in having severe prenatal depression as well as postpartum. I was very neglected. I didn't have support. I lived with my in-laws at the time who I didn't get along with. Um, I was was living far from my parents, so it was really hard while being sick to drive half an hour. Yeah. So I did that by myself. And I did my first year by myself. And, and that's because yeah. we, we often don't have a choice. You know, yeah. those situations is you literally don't have a choice and sometimes it would be nice to. So if we have, say, the average listener who has had that, you know, bit of crappy postpartum, what do you think is the biggest contributor to having a negative postpartum. If obviously your relationship is an average everyday relationship, there's no toxicity, anything Mm. like that, what do you think is the biggest contributor? Are women misinformed? Are they not well prepared? Like what is it? You know, I was thinking about this question and there's so many answers to it. It's such a broad kind of question. And I did ask a few of my friends and family members, you know, just to get an opinion and feedback. Sorry. A lot of them said breastfeeding. The support with breastfeeding is a big one. Like I said, once you leave the hospital, it's kind of like, hey, work it out for yourself. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them had problems latching, and that's a big thing. You know, when you feel that your baby's not latching, oh, my goodness, are they getting enough uh, milk? You know, I'm hurting myself. You go through mastitis. You don't know how to hold this baby, what's comfortable for you and your child. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's the Breastfeeding Association in Australia and there's some lines, organisations you can call, but it's such a sensitive time for the mother and the baby to connect that way. But there's not enough support to kind of check in. You, that, that's a constant like, thing. Yeah, I feel like the support as well should be something that's established during the pregnancy. Yeah. Like just... In a normal circumstance, no one wants to reach out for a helpline when they're in a worst-case scenario. Like just to a stranger, pick up that phone and call someone. No one is going to do that. You know, some people do, but very few. It needs to be like an integrated connection from the start all the way through. Like you said, so it's when they know I'm there, they need something, I'm here, I got them. And another way that I kind of thought of this question was, I feel like women put, especially in my community, um, a lot of pressure on themselves to have everything under control. So as soon as they get out, they need to be doing the drop-offs and they need to have the house clean Mm -hmm. and visitors need to come over within the first couple of days and they need to put a smile on their face and they need to pack their husband's work lunch and they can't ask for help. They just need to have it all under control. And some of that I think is their own people-pleasing tendencies and kind of what society expects from them rather than nurturing themselves and honoring their feelings and their thoughts and just writing out the next four to six weeks how they choose yeah exactly it's it's that whole you know when people visit and they obviously want to visit you have to set boundaries for yourself you know you just gave birth whether it be natural or c-section especially with c-section you can't really get up and do things for people it's like do you really expect a mother who just gave birth to be hospitable to people and want to serve tea, coffee, light refreshments to people coming in and going? It's such it's it's a time where the mother and baby and the family, the husband and the children, need to come together and get to know this new addition to the family. Mm-hmm. We don't need people unless they're really coming to help you to clean and cook and stuff like that. 
by all means, you're welcome. But to kind of visit and drop by and send presents and whatever, okay, just just wait, hold off for like two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. Let the mother recover physically and let her recover emotionally from maybe a very painful labor or a traumatic something happens in the labor room. Let her yeah. sit with those feelings. Allow her to s- express those feelings as well. Mm-hmm. And I think boundary making is something that should be worked towards even from when you're pregnant. You're setting those expectations. Like, yeah, everyone's so excited for bubs to come, but I would love for everyone to know that the first two weeks I don't want any visitors. Like it's about weaning the people around you who might be a little bit invasive or like, you know, grandparents are extra excited or, you know, everyone wants to chime in and pitch in on how to raise your kid and what you should, you know, how you should wrap them and what formula they should be on or if they should be breastfed. And I think it's setting the boundaries in all of those conversations with reassurance that you know what is best for your child. And I feel like especially with the first one, we are always questioned, especially like for myself and my experience as a young mum at 19 years old, I was always questioned that, you know, the way you're doing it is not right. What you're feeling is not right. You don't know what your baby needs. Like even when I was laboring my son and I'm telling the nurse, like I can feel his head coming out and she goes, no, you still have a long way. I go, I can feel it's like, I think I know what a head feels like. Yeah, I had that as well. I had that with my third and I was like to my husband, I'm like, oh, she's there, like she's coming. And yeah. the midwife would be like, no, no, honey, like you're not, it, it's, you're far off. And I'm like to my husband, I go, I'm just going to slowly push. <laughs> I don't care what she <laughs> says, like I'm just going to push this baby out myself. Because yeah. you know, you know your child more than anyone. And I think what you were saying about what is the big, uh, what are contributors to a difficult postpartum journey is the, the advice, the unwanted advice from mm-hmm. the, the parents, the in-laws, yeah. the aunties, your friends, you know your child. And I always tell this to people, you know your child and you do what's best for you and your baby. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I with my, it's so sorry. important to have someone like you on that journey to just remind that mother at that time where she is taking in everyone else's opinion, gets overwhelmed, doesn't even know how to nurture her baby anymore. And for you to just come in and be like, you know what your baby needs, block out the noise. Yeah. I have a very um, old school mum and bless her. Like she's a, she's the most perfect person on earth. Well, not it's perfect, but like she's an angel. Um, And she's very adamant with, um, formula feeding just because she's she gets paranoid with how much the baby's feeding with um breastfeeding because you can with formula you can see how much they're getting and my sister just gave birth and she's always like oh you know give formula so you know how much she's feeding and stuff like that and I said to my mom I go just let her be for now when the time is right or when the time comes where she feels like she wants to give formula or, and she doesn't want to breastfeed anymore, or she just wants to continue on with breastfeeding, let her be. Mm-hmm. Just let her make that decision on her own. Don't force it. She forced it with me. Um, not that I was mad at her because I didn't have a lot of breast milk, but it's just you have to let mothers also work it out for themselves. Not all of it, but let, yeah. let, let them come to that decision by themselves. And, and the that's how you boost also- their confidence. Yeah, and that it's also okay to make a mistake. If you yeah, make 100%. a mistake, you're not going to ruin your child. You're not going to traumatize them. You haven't doomed your child by doing something wrong, or maybe you should have made this choice earlier, or you should have done something different. You are learning just like your t- child is learning, and you're both learning from each other. And that's something I think mothers don't take into consideration often, is there is no time in parenthood where you can look back and say, I've learned everything. I'm going to put it into practice now. No, because we're consistently learning because our kids are always changing. So lower your own expectations is something I would also say, like boundaries, having breastfeeding support, getting someone, you know, like yourself or like a doula to sit there um, and kind of pep talk you and be your support person. And I also think just lower your expectation. Like you're not going to bounce back straight away. You Mm. are going to feel a little bit run down. It is okay if everything's not put together. It is okay if you choose, you know, to bottle feed instead of breastfeed or vice versa. Like just go easy on yourself. Yeah. For those women that are listening, 
how important do you think is having your husband's support? And if there is someone wanting to get their husband on board, what are some things that he can present or support her with? I had very two extreme experiences with um, my firstborn and my second and third. So I had a very absent partner who was never there. And then I had my husband now who was there 24-7. And the support from your partner is so crucial to have mm-hmm. because he's going through, he's the father, like, yeah. and you expect them to be there. He was there to hold my hair back while I was vomiting. He took me to all the appointments and all the, um, uh, the, the hospital, even though he couldn't sit there. And he was constantly on the phone with me. And knowing he was there made me feel like, you know what, you're my backbone. You've got it, um, what's it called? You've you've got the house. Like you, you can take care of the house. You can take care of the eldest and the second one. He was so reliable and he heard me cry. He heard me say that I hated my pregnancy. But he, he wasn't the one that said, oh, you should be grateful and so yeah. and so. He was like, you know what, I'm, I can see that you're suffering. Yeah. Okay. And it's okay to feel like this. And I'm sorry that you're going through that. So having your partner there, and I feel sorry for anyone that doesn't have their partner there, but it just shows how much resilience you have if, Absolutely. you know, solo parenting. So so it's you would say for him to show up and be reliable, you know, show some care and some input in the appointments yeah. she does have. Show up because that's, that yeah. is your responsibility. That is your child yeah. as well. You, you and know, to validate validate her pregnancy experience and postpartum experience, rather right. than also having an expectation on her just to feel okay or be grateful or be happy or move on. Yeah, like that is your child. That's your responsibility, and show up for your wife and yeah. your, your child. Now that it's not COVID, yeah, go to those the, the antenatal classes and um. What are they like the the the, the birthing classes yep. and yep. get some information about breastfeeding because you're going to be on the journey with her when the baby arrives. Yeah, and so it breaks my heart. Similar yeah. education, yeah, to her in order to be able to pick her up when she's sitting there thinking, "What the heck am I supposed to do now?" I think society also puts in like these days a lot of pressure on mothers to be like, "Be a mother," but I also want you to go back to work. And yeah. having that pressure is a lot. Yeah. It's like, which one do we choose? You want me to be a good mother, but I'm also supposed to, I'm also supposed to go back to work, make an income and, mm-hmm. you know, contribute to the house, finance, the house and finances. And to be always on the ball. And like mm-hmm. you said, it's okay to make mistakes, but society has made us to feel like, no, you've got to be on the ball. You've yeah. got to be the best mother. You've got to play. You've got to do sensory activities with them and Montessori activities and take them to the park it's like to be honest I can't be bothered doing that every day it's not that <laughs> I'm not that type of mother and it's, it's it burns you real. out it's actually just being realistic it's really being honest with yourself and saying what am I capable of because you know yeah. what maybe Sarah who does do all of that that's her capability that's her strong mm-hmm. point it's not mine it doesn't make me a bad mum doesn't make me less of a present mother or a loving mother or a caring mother it's just that's not my skill set so focus on your strengths because at the end of the day children just really need time and love that's really really what they need and time can be something as small as 10 minutes yeah i I agree with you yeah sorry you go you go (laughs) finish off sorry i'm just cutting you off (laughs) no no you're fine um, I lost my train of thought, so you can pick up. <laughs> because I interrupted. Um, no, I had this conversation with one of my friends where she's she's pregnant at the moment, and she's like, I feel so bad because my kids are in front of the TV all day, every day, because she's going through quite a hard pregnancy. And I said to her, I go, are they, are they happy? Are they healthy? Are they fed? Are they clothed? And she was like, yes. And I was like, a child doesn't need to be out and about every day and doing activities 24-7. You know what they do need? They need a mother's love and they need you to cuddle them and just sit with them. And that's what they need and that's what they will feel. So I said, don't feel bad about that. Kids are, first of all, resilient 
and kids' expectations are so low that yeah. all, you can play with them, like you said, for 10 minutes and bang, we've made their day. And yeah. go on with your day. Let them watch TV. Get get stuff done. During, in and it's also that this period is for right now. Just because mm. these four, five, six, seven, even if it's the nine months of the pregnancy, that's what it looks like right now, doesn't mean that's how it's going to stay. And I think mothers have a hard time, you know, filtering between that as well. And I got my train of thought back. So back to the mothers going back into work, I also notice the mum guilt. So it's like they're going back to work when bubs is, say, six months or a year. They're putting bubs in a childcare or, you know, they're with the grandparents and there's that consistent guilt of I'm missing the milestones, but I have to work. Or it's like I'm leaving the kid because I have to work and then I come home and I have to do everything else, which means I can't catch up on time with being with the baby. So where do I win? And yeah. it's just a constant drive of mothers made to feel guilty about making the choices that they need to make. Whereas we should look at it in a way where right now these kids are young and this is what a mum has to do in order to give her kid the best life. And yet again, lower those expectations. Your kid doesn't need to be out every single day. Your kid are with people that, you know, really love and care and look after them. They are getting that stimulation. They are getting that one-on-one -on -one connection. So oftentimes um, the reality isn't as bad when we actually sit in reality and not just in our expectation or we catastrophize things. And just filtering between right now, this is what it looks like. It doesn't mean it's always going to be like this. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, you're right. I, I think the mum guilt, honestly, does it ever go away whether you go back to work or not? Or j just in general, I feel like we sit with mum guilt with the littlest things. Like just say if we go out for a coffee and the kids are with their father or with their grandparents, I don't know why, but I still feel guilty. But why should I feel guilty where I need that break? I need to rejuvenate. And sometimes people find with working, you know, they get, a little bit of themselves back they get mm. with identity loss with um motherhood we all experience it and it's a sad time but don't feel guilty about doing something for you because like you said being the best mother oh sorry being the best person and rejuvenating yourself is being the best mother yeah and you're there in your presence and what changed my perspective on mum guilt because mum guilt is something i really like I kind of don't experience at all anymore. The thing that really changed my mind is obviously pouring in my cup, I'm able to pour into theirs, but kids are going to model my behavior. And when I am taking time for myself, I make it known to my kids, these are the things I do in order to have peace in my mind and give back to myself. And these are things that you should find in your life to do in order to do the same. So, for example, if I'm going to the gym for an hour in the morning, you know, why do you need to go to the gym today, mum? I'm going to the gym because that gets my head and mood right for the rest of the day. And I need that. You know, honor yourself and really hold those boundaries for yourself, even with your children. It's not something to feel bad about because you're also teaching them healthy coping mechanisms. So my daughter now say she'll go in her room, close the door. She's doing some arts and crafts. What are you doing? This is my time, mum. I want to be here by myself because this is me and what I like to do to settle my mind. You know, and it's teaching them that they need to also take time for themselves, especially for our daughters. They see us going and going and going and going and going. They're going to come up with the same pattern. And then it's going to be very hard to change that when they're adults, wives, mothers doing the exact same thing. They're not going to know how to take time for themselves or fill up their cup, or they're just going to wait around hoping and praying that someone's going to fill up their cup for them. And we all know how that goes. <laughs> it's not coming, right? <laughs> yeah. I, lo I love that she I love that she does that. I I'm so glad you're conditioning her to know the importance of me time. You yeah. Know, how, how old are your children? So they're quite independent. So I have a 10-year-old, 8-year-old is my daughter, and my son is 4. How does, because I've got a two and three-year-old, how do you, how does the four-year-old, I guess, how do you teach him about me? Because my kids are quite young. They wouldn't understand that, you know what, mommy needs a break. Um, give me like half an hour because they'll end up following me. So how do you teach your four-year-olds 
about me time. So the four-year-old is more kind of maybe 10 minutes max if you're lucky and then he's allocation for you. Or what I get to do is because he has a similar temperament to my eight-year-old, I'll pair them up with each other on an activity. So your kids are still a little bit too young for that. And then sometimes the honest truth is it's take your device, mum needs 10 minutes, don't come in my room, or I'm actually going to lose it. So, you know, we are all humans. And at the end of the day, a lot of you will know that I am single parenting. I am in a home with three kids. And sometimes, no, I'm not conscious and peaceful and, you know, kumbaya in the house. Sometimes my house looks like a bomb has hit it. And I think that's just reality. Oh, completely normal. My house is a bomb 24-7. Have yeah. I folded my laundry that's been there for two weeks? No. Yeah. And I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna own up to that. And I'm proud of that, whatever, because I've got three humans that rely on me and then I'm doing, you know, my business and trying to set up a podcast and, you mm-hmm. know, working with all different people. Like, and at the end of the day, basic needs is fine. Yeah, basic needs is enough. It's enough. Yeah. You, you've got your snacks, you, you're happy, you're playing, you're drawing. But another thing I feel guilty about is with my eldest, because there's a five-year gap between my eldest and second, I feel like sometimes I rely on her a little bit too much because I feel burnt out. Yeah. My my two little ones are going through the terrible twos and threes and it's really overwhelming to mm. just see them constantly fight. They're 15 months apart. Yeah. So and sometimes, a- yeah. And um she's very emotionally mature. So I can sit down with her and I'd be like, you know what, Mama, I, I need just can you watch your sisters while I lay lay down on the bed? And mm-hmm. she will do that. She's great. But I'm like, should I be asking her to do that because she's also a kid? That's where my mum guilt comes in. I think it's good to have balance, right? So, like, my oldest, he's he's, um, a boy, he's 10. Um, He's kind of the more quiet, reserved one. But at the same time, I do allow him to take up that space of looking after your siblings while I need a break. But I frame it in a way where it's like you are the oldest, that is your job. Because whether you look at it as, you know, over-responsibility or you can label it whatever you want, the truth is he is the eldest in his family. And we can even look at this from a religious perspective. You know, he needs to lead his family. He needs to lead his siblings. He needs to be someone where his siblings can come and rely on him. And this goes, I'm just saying his because mine is, is, is a boy, but I think it goes for, you know, boys and girls. You know, they're the person that, if mum and dad's not here, you are then taking that role. Yeah, I, I never thought of it like that, to be honest, because um, my husband is of, you know, other background and he, and when we, he just say he gives them ice cream or something, he'd be like, no, the oldest get the, gets it first and then the second mm-hmm. and then the third. So I now I kind of, you know, put it together that they, yeah, they are a role model and yeah. that they will take care of them because sometimes um, if my little ones wake up and I'm up to like five mm-hmm. I look at the time and I'm like oh my god it's 11 like why did no one wake me up my eldest she's cooked eggs for her sister she's put toast she's put yogurt cucumber and oh, she's yeah. um put juice out and I I think like I didn't ask her to do this but she did it and mm-hmm. it just shows how responsible the eldest is absolutely and how much they learn from their siblings that they it's almost like an instinct that Mm-hmm. You know, hey, I'm the oldest. I'm, I'm going to take care of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's And I feel like with girls, it's actually kind of instilled in them. It's a little bit different with girls compared to boys. Like my middle one, she's very much like that as well, even though like she's eight. Um, but she just gets it. Like she's just on the ball. Yeah. Girls um, are built differently. I'll, I'll tell you that. Yeah. So eight, and the yeah. fact that she's cooking eggs and, you know, yeah. she's trying to mediate between her sisters, It's it's just. You know, Allah has put it in us yeah. that we're very nurturing, loving, and caring. It's how we're built. And I think it just, you know, you as a mother kind of balance it out for her. So if you feel like she is taking too much responsibility, there are places where you need to remind her as like, you know, you are their sister. Because I know my one in the middle, she kind of does take that motherly role, that really nurturing mm. role. And it's like, Mona, right now you just need to be a sister. Mom's here, yeah. thank you. You just need to be a sister and focus on being a sister. Yeah. Um, so I think it's taking a step back and balancing that for them also really helps them, you know, 
harness their own leadership skills and where it is applicable and where it's not. Because it's also about training the mind that not in every single context you need to lead. Not in every single context you need to share an opinion. Not in every single context you being how you are is necessary because we need to be adaptable to what's happening around us. Yeah. And it's a fine line between, you know, them being being that motherly role and then just being a kid. Yeah. My my daughter, she's very mature, you know, mashallah, she's mm-hmm. very mature, but sometimes I think, like, like just be a kid. You yeah. know, you don't always have to intervene with your sisters and be like, you know, Naya, don't do this, and Aaliyah, no, don't throw that. I'm just like, just call me. It's it's yeah. what I'm there for. If you want to go fight with them, fight with them, but you just be a kid sometimes. But bless bless our daughters. Bless all Absolutely. daughters. May yeah. Allah protect them. Amen. So speaking of daughters and kids and balancing it all out, Running your own business, have you come up with any kind of struggles or challenges? And if you are still too small or, you know, a young business, what challenges do you think are potentially going to come? And have you thought about how you're going to deal with them? My biggest challenge at the moment is time management. Right. Because it's holidays at the moment, of course, but um, because of I have three, I, I feel like I'm always on the go, especially with school coming up with their sports and their tutoring, childcare mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's when I do have that free time while they're at school, I'm like, do I do I do groceries? Do I clean the house? Do I cook? Do I do, mm-hmm. you know, studies? What do I do? So prioritizing my time, but in the right way, that's what I'm struggling with. Yeah. And I, 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 ask, I ask you this question, I'm like, how do you do it? How are you doing it? Because yeah. you're very much less successful. Yeah, and so many mums come to me with this, um, you know, this predicament, I would say. And, you know, I remember sitting with one of my clients and I explained to her that when you ask me what a balanced life looks like, my scale is not actually imbalanced. It's not 50-50. Mm-hmm. Like one is a lot more down than the other. That's what balance looks like in my head. And I'm going to explain why. Because if I'm giving 90% to my business, I only have 10% for my family. So that's not 50-50. That's they're literally getting 10% and my business is getting 90. And if we flip that the other way around, my business is getting 10% and my home is getting 90. And we can pick and choose when these things are applicable, right? So obviously we're not going to pick during school holidays to go 90% into a business. It's a little bit hard. So number one, throw out the idea that a balanced life looks like 50-50 because it's not. Something is always going to lack somewhere when you're giving your attention to something specific. That's just how it is. But it's realizing that. So if I'm going 90% in my business, I will kind of say, make sure that two nights in that week, it's undivided attention of group family time and we're watching a movie or we're playing board games. So it's not every single night, but I'm trying to get some kind of balance and quality connection. So when I'm looking to connect, it's quality. It's not just connecting because I have to, you know, because I feel bad or out of guilt. And the other thing is, is having a schedule. Like I'm sure every single one of you who are listening can be like Jasmine and schedules is like definition go hand in hand. Have (laughs) a schedule. Like plan out and schedule and journaling is like my three mottos that wraps me up. Um, So schedule. Like Sunday is planning night. What am I cooking? When am I going groceries? What pockets of time do I have? And actually break down your day in time slots. You know, this time to this time I'm cleaning, this time to this time I'm at grocery shop, this time to this time I'm cooking. So then you can actually see what pockets of time you have to do what you need to do. So if right now you're in a phase of your life where it's looking like 90% mum, then that 10% you have, what are you filling it up with? Yeah. Right. And being realistic, being realistic to where you are right now, like building a million dollar empire in this year that you have a two year old and a three year old sounds like a really, really, really big task. Right. But it's like, what do I want to achieve? Do I want to get three clients? Do I want to change 10 people's lives? Do I want to, you know, offer this one specific service that I know I can maintain? Do I just want to open up a podcast and just focus on one thing and just do it exceptionally well? I'm going to take that advice because, you know what, I think I've got, you know, computer tab, you've got like a million tabs open. Yeah. That's me right now. I'm like, yeah. okay, podcast, we're going to do an event. We're going to do a mother's thing. And I'm, I'm like, wait, hang on. Like, why am I doing so many things, but I haven't perfected one? Yeah. You know? 
and so that's the hard I've been me. in business school for like the past couple of weeks and what they focus on is master of one become a master of one thing so what do we want to know Lily about like Lily is the go-to for like postpartum uh, support like that is her she is the person like right now I'm aiming at being the person in coaching and mentoring women right and I'm creating a specific method of how I do that that differentiates me from everyone else so just master your one and everything else will come like when I opened up MSA a couple of years ago like I never thought it was going to be what it has become and slowly slowly you add things to it like we have the holiday meetups we have the workshops we have the events we have the podcast we have you know our little community so many things have come out of just mastering one thing yeah but when you're trying to master 10 you're literally giving five percent here ten percent here two percent there nothing is going to turn into one great thing you you're about it's about quality not quantity i guess absolutely Absolutely. And if you believe in yourself and you believe in what you advocate for, people follow you. And I love how you opened up with, you know, whether people like me or they don't like me, I'm going to do what I need to do. It's a problem if everyone likes you. Like if you're fitting in every single box, I would say that's a problem. Yeah, too much, too much people pleasing there, I guess. But I also, I also went into it, um, you know, getting over that fear of what people think about me. We yeah. had a discussion about that. But I was thinking, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to get haters and trolls online, then it's a good thing because, you know what, like I'm trying to help women. So if you're hating right. on me for that and I'm trying to better the health, uh, mental health of people, then, you know what, that that reflects a lot on you, that you're Absolutely. hating me for that. So I think it's something that I had to prepare myself for, that people are going to have opinions, people are going to say something, there's going to be a lot of backlash, but it's just – how you deal with it in a professional manner and not and not let it eat you up inside because if you like you said if you love what you do and you're passionate about it it will speak volumes when you talk about it and when you educate people yeah and I think so many women hold themselves back from jumping into that business or starting Mm -hmm. that page or you know even if they just want to share their actual opinions in a group setting or to a friend They struggle so much because they're worried about what people think. But oftentimes, who like, who cares what people think anyway? Like, really, really, why are we giving them that much space in our life? Number one, we don't even know 90% of the people that are on the internet. We don't even know the person who is probably trolling us in the first place. So why am I taking them home with me and laying my head on the pillow and they're taking up space in my brain for free? Yeah. I think we give people too much power and we need yeah. to take it back with, especially when it comes to our self-esteem and confidence. Like, mm-hmm. you know what? Hate on me. It's fine. I hope you have a yeah. great day. Have a, have a great life. Yeah. And like I said, flip the script. Like if everyone liked me, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. So when you have a script like that, when you start to get haters, it actually fuels you in a sense where like, okay, so I'm doing something right. If I'm ruffling feathers, I'm doing something right. You know, I'm on my mission. Yeah. Right. And to end this, I would love to know some resources you can recommend to mums. Maybe ones that can educate them or maybe there's actual things that we can purchase for our postpartum journey or healing or. So I would say the 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 top um, resources that I have been to and what a lot of my friends and family have been to is Panda. Panda is a great perinatal organization that deals with depression and anxiety and then when you speak to them they will link you into services um depending where you are where where you live in australia an extensive list of services there you can access there's also you know beyond blue gidget foundation um, is a organization that does up to free 10 counseling sessions oh wow yeah so and then they're on video course. If you can't make it down, it's on a video call. That's up to 10. And you know what? I also, because social media has grown so much in the last 10 years, really utilize it mm-hmm. and find businesses. There's so much information out there and there's so many people opening businesses, like you said, doulas and um, midwife, midwives, registered nurses, mental health professionals, really research wisely and find these services because you have access to everything. As much as social media can be such a negative 
world, it can also be really, really great. Mm-hmm. Finding someone that's close to you and finding someone and getting, I guess, free free advice because it can be quite pricey going to a psychologist or a counsellor or even a psychiatrist. It's very pricey and mm-hmm. it's still pricey with a mental health care plan. So mm-hmm. by finding these services like me, which I'm offering um, peer support work, free peer support work for five mothers, mm-hmm. you could find something great, but you've got to utilise social media in a wise manner. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, like you said, information and resources are at a touch of a button, but it's up to us to seek it. It's up to us not to feel stigma around it. It's up to us to drop our expectation of what we should be and just accept where we are in this process right now and just act on that. Um, I will, in the description, put these services for anyone who needs to access them. Um, And lastly, I'm starting this little trend, which I have seen off Diary of a CEO. I don't know if you guys know him, but some of my girls will know his um, podcast because I'm obsessed with him. And he basically... Not every single time, but most times he has a guest on. He gets them to leave a question for the next guest. And the guest doesn't know what the question is. So I am going to get you. I was going to get you to say it on here, but then I was like, maybe our guest is going to listen. So I'm going to get you to email me or I'll just text me your question. Okay. I will deliver that to our next guest and perhaps you'll be listening along to see her answer to it. Definitely, yeah, I, I want to see because um, I want to see her answer because I want to see other people's experiences. So I'm yeah. going to shoot you through that now. Yeah, please When's do. the next guest uh, popping on? Um, So it'll be the following week. Oh, okay. And I have every single week. I think there's about five or six ladies jumping on. Oh, no. So yeah, there'll be a couple. Um, but I just want to say a massive thank you for th- taking the time today. Thank you so much for having Come me. On board. It was lovely meeting you. I love everything you stand for and advocate for. And I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses your journey, blesses your business. And you're really successful, but you you as well. Thank you. Um, and thank you to everyone who was listening along. And we will chat to you all next week. All right, bye.